Hello and welcome to The Dish, a connectivity business news podcast. My name is Madeline Durrett, Senior Associate Editor at Connectivity Business News, and today we're speaking with Glenn Katz, Chief Commercial Officer at Telesat, which has recently been making key strides with its Lightspeed constellation. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Madeline. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So, Telesat recently named MDA as the builder of its satellites for Lightspeed. Would you elaborate on the significance of this milestone and the implications of being at this stage with Lightspeed? Yeah, sure. So this is a significant milestone. Maybe to give a little bit of background, Telesat, which is a 54-year-old satellite communications company, about six years ago saw the, the change in market dynamics. Some would call it an inflection point. A few others had seen that as well that were outside the industry, like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Uh, but Telesat was the first of all the satellite operators to start actually doing something about it and planning for a low-Earth orbit light speed, what we call light speed network. So it, there's been six to set, a little more than six years of development of this project. But now we had to get to the point where we could get all the funding that was necessary for the capital expenditures and operational expenditures to actually build this network. And this past uh, two Fridays ago, we were able to announce publicly that we had finalized all the funding for this project, as well as chosen a prime contractor to build the satellites and the network itself. So it's a significant step. And now we have a project in place with a timeline, the technology, and the company is aligned to be able to help put this together. So we're super excited. I mean, this is a change in in Telesat's trajectory and the industry as a whole. Wow. So what factors contributed to your decision of choosing MDA for this? I know that they're also Canadian, um, and you recently had some support from the Canadian government. So is there kind of a Canadian pride factor? Well, that's a great (laughs) question. I, I can tell you straight off that we didn't choose MDA is the prime contractor because they were a Canadian company. Oh, wow. However, because they are a Canadian <laughs> company, it certainly obviously does help uh, our situation vis-a-vis the Canadian government. But to be clear, and maybe for some of your listeners who don't have the history, we, a couple of years ago, we had announced that we had chosen a different prime contractor to, to design and build the satellites, and that was Talus. Uh, in, in, in France. And MDA was a part of that contract, if you will, through us. In other words, MDA was, a, was, a, was another technology partner already back then. And what MDA was supplying then was what we call in the industry the direct rating antenna, the big antenna that's on the satellite where all the user, the remote terminals connect to and from the satellite, okay? And that was, that's a big piece of the technology. Well, they were already contracted with us to do that. And they were also already contracted with us to actually take all the parts from Thales and assemble them in Canada. So we already had an existing relationship with MDA, technology and supply relationship. And then what happened, which is I think is important to answer your question correctly, around that time, two years ago, we were coming... Yeah, outside or just the the end of this COVID 
um, period that we were in, Alice informed us that they had some significant supply chain issues with their subcontractors to put our design together. And at the same time, there were all these inflationary pressures, which we all have felt in our own personal lives, uh, that caused the design back then to be significantly more expensive to the point where we need to now go out and try to find some more funding for this project. And so we worked, and that also affected greatly the schedule that we originally had planned on for the introduction of the actual global services. So with that, we had to go off and look for some more funding besides the funding that the government of Canada had already committed to us in the original design. And while we were doing that, we went back to our engineering department and we asked them, we said, look, we're going to go through this this process here to try to find some more money, if you want to put it simply, but take a look at what's out there today. Take a look at the most recent technology, because what we were trying to get funded a couple of years ago was based on a, a set of technology that was, you know, maybe three, three and a half, four years old. So time, times change and technology changes rapidly. So the engineering team went off and did that. And it took a while, but I guess somewhere towards maybe the middle of the, maybe the March, April time frame, they were able to present to the rest of the management team a very viable new design with the latest technology, the latest digital technology for these satellites that allowed us to reduce the cost, reduce the power, increase the efficiency of the satellites. And it just so happened through all, all the different technologies as well as other providers out there that in MDA were the ones who were able to mature and, and de-risk some of the major components of the satellite and add to it specific digital technology that allowed the efficiency of the system to increase by a factor of three in terms of the amount of beams that we can serve per satellite and also reduce the overall size of the satellite to around 75%. So all of that together helped really reduce the cost of the system, modernize the system, if you want to think of it that way. And when, when it was all said and done, we had a, a more modern technology that met all of our original needs and all of our original specifications, including the amount of usable capacity, at a much lower price of about $2 billion. So one might say, not that we planned it this way at all, but the circumstances forced us into a situation where we had, had to take a look and see what we could do. And the engineering team of both Telesat and MDA did a phenomenal job to be able to get us to reach this point where we were able to announce everything two weeks ago and also have all the funding in place. Oh, so it's, it's almost like, I don't want to say a blessing in disguise because I know that delays are delays and they're yes. not great, but um, the, the long-term outcome of this, with the, the advancements in the funding saves, like in looking back, it could be a blessing. So Madeline, that's a really interesting point. I would say if everything was still as it was two years ago, without the supply chain issues and without the inflationary pressure, we would have gone down that path, there's no doubt. And we would have had service, you know, maybe a little bit earlier than what this new plan has. However, that wasn't the case, right? And the good news here, and, and 
we get a lot of questions around, hey, you're going to be later than you expected to be or later than you had announced prior to market. And our response is that, yes, that's true, but the market itself, the target addressable market for low Earth orbit services, both in the commercial side of that target addressable market, as well as the residential side of that target addressable market, is so enormous. It's so big compared to the target adjustable market for geostationary based satellite services today, similar service to what we provide today with our geo fleet. And so there will be enough market size and enough demand for these types of services so that there's, there's more than one player that will get a piece of that pie. So yeah, we'll be a little bit late. The flip side of that is we really like what we've designed in terms of our positioning and what makes us different from some of the other low earth orbit providers that that are in the market today. So we're carving out a niche, it's a very big niche, and we're still incredibly bullish about it. So yeah, and maybe it was a little bit better to be born a bit late on this one. <laughs> and kind of to spin off on that point, how will Lightspeed be a game changer for the industry? Which sectors and which applications will benefit the most from this service? Well, yeah, so when we look at the market that we want to address, or the total, what I was calling before, target adjustable market for low Earth orbit satellite services, us, as well as a whole bunch of other industry experts, size that market as up to well over $400 billion worldwide, globally, in you know 2025, the, the, the target adjustable market. Not like everybody's going to be there in 2025, but the market size itself. And when we look at that market, a little more than half of that is direct-to-home consumer. Very similar to what Starlink is doing today and what the majority of their businesses today and what their systems were designed for today. And that's going to set up the, the actual answer to your question. But I wanted to give a little bit of context. So, it's, so in terms of light speed, we're not targeting that specifically. What we're targeting is the commercial side of that large market. And that's broken up into four major verticals that are large. Enterprise, just like you'd find enterprise services in the United States or in Europe, but that's a global enterprise market. Aviation, internet to planes, connectivity to planes. Maritime, which is everything from cruise ships down to individual yachts, if you want to think of it that way. And then, of course, government, for all government-related type of communication needs. And that side of the market... Uh, is big enough, and what we've done there, if you look at that type of market, it demands a little bit of a, not a little bit, it demands quite a big difference in terms of, of the services that one would require for telecommunications. And that's what we've designed Lightspeed to be. We've designed it to be what, what's called in the industry an enterprise class network. We consider ourselves really a carrier of carriers. We're designing, as simple as I can put it, an extension of the Metro Ethernet terrestrial networks that exist today in the world, except we're going to be able to extend that over satellite between points where at, at low latency and high bandwidth that, that others can't do today. So if you look at sort of at the highest level, the, the difference between, the, I don't want to call them traditional, but existing LEO networks and what we're doing, you could, you could make the exact analogy of the difference between a consumer broadband network, like you get at your house, that could also be used for business, 
but it's a best effort broadband service versus telco grade enterprise class wide area networking type of technology where you need guaranteed information rates, where you need guaranteed service level agreements for availability and reliability and delay and latency and all that because the applications require that for the enterprise and government side of, of the of the market side. So that's that's exactly what we're designing towards. And it's two different both of those types of networks are valid, both are viable for their particular market needs. It's the same way we're designing for is in essence the same way that carriers and telcos work today. As an example, if you go to an AT&T or an Orange or Telefonica or Comcast, you can you can purchase from them best effort broadband high-speed networks or for a certain set of applications and needs on the commercial enterprise side, you can you can purchase ethernet grade networks. Right? right? So that's the difference. We're focusing that other side of the business which is the commercial side with our services. That, that's exactly what my next question was going to be. Like, what defines an enterprise class network? So you answered that yeah. quite well. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And that's a, it's an industry standard sort of definition for enterprise class. And, and that's exactly what we're, we're, we're designing. And then Lightspeed is it's also a software-defined network. Why are software-defined networks the, kind of the future of connectivity? Yeah, you know, it's 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 um, interesting. Most technology today, even some of the newer geostationary satellites, are also software defined, meaning that there's processors on board, so um, one can modify if you want to think of the change, or have more flexibility in terms of how those satellites operate. So older satellites or satellites that were designed years ago, they're big giant relays in the sky. You can't really move things around. You can't move beams around. You can't change power very well. Well, the more modern class of satellites, both geostationary and low Earth orbit, now have massive processors on them that uh, allow you to do some modifications. However, for a low Earth orbit network, which is what, what the light speed network is, the requirement and the demands and specifications for what those satellites have to do are orders of magnitude greater than what a geostationary satellite can do and needs to do. So, by definition, these satellites are not, they're active satellites, they're routers in the sky, and every one of those satellites are connected via, via optical satellite links to four other satellites, which creates, a create, which creates a giant global mesh network in the sky. So that's what I meant before was, the network is really an extension of a terrestrial wide area network in in the sky, in space. And so those the, the satellites have to, by definition, be able to be modified, changed, algorithms need to be updated over time. And so that's where the software-defined aspect of these, these satellites come from. You can't create a low-Earth orbit satellite that has that's meaningful in terms of what it can do without having the ability to control the software on those satellites after they're launched. Thank you. And I, I know that Lightspeed, um, it's adaptable to 5G mobile infrastructures. In the future, do you think it'll be adaptable to 6G mobile infrastructures? Yeah, and that's kind of a little bit more of an easy one to maybe answer. So we always say that our system is adaptable to any G because we are in that ecosystem of a 5G or 6G service to, let's say, your handheld, you know, if you're the customer, 
we're the back end. We're, we're, we're backhauling all that data that comes from the towers around the world to the particular data centers for the, the mobile carrier. So whether the signal to a uh, handset is 5G or 6G, it doesn't matter to us because we're the, we're the trunk in the end. What we're not designing is a system that will talk directly to a handset. That's a different type of technology. So for us, it's really easy for us purposefully to say that we're compatible with 5G, 6G, 7G, or 10G, whatever comes out. And, and the requirements for a 5G or a 6G backhaul network really is high speed, dedicated uh, information rates, not best effort, as well as the latency. And so that's obviously one of the particularly, one of the larger use cases that we are targeting for this enterprise class network, the Lightspeed network. And I know that this is also a very secure network. What steps has Telesat taken to make it this secure and how difficult would it be to intercept data from Lightspeed mm. or jam the signal? Mm, you know, yeah. Now, you know, so I get, I get that, we get that question a lot. First, let's talk about the security. The, the data that goes through the network itself, we don't, we don't look at it, right? We are, we're a carrier. We're a layer two network in the sky. We assume that everyone will encrypt their own data and send it over our Lightspeed network. That's sort of base number one. However, one has to say, well, that's great, but can someone get into your system? Like you said, can they, you know, is there a way for them to intercept the data or jam the signal? Well, there's always a way probably to do something. However, a lower earth orbit network by definition, and then light speed in terms of the specifications, is much, much, much more robust and hardened than a generic, let's say, geostationary network. And so how does that happen? Well, first of all, you really do have to look at the company itself. And so Telesat has taken upon itself to be able to be compliant with most of the, not most of, all of the most recent cybersecurity requirements from the U.S. government, including the uh, U.S. Space Force's Infrastructure Asset Pre-Approval Program, otherwise known as IAPRE, which has well over 500 controls. Those are corporate company controls that, that work from everywhere, from what are your cybersecurity policies, how do you govern that, what's the architecture of your enterprise and operating support systems that control these satellites, do you have an operations, day-to-day -day, uh, uh, operations center that monitors, and then what is your response time, and then what's your business recovery and disaster recovery. So besides the actual physical aspect of the satellite, it's how the company is organized around that network, because we do have to operate it. I mean, these satellites are, are routers in the sky, but there's controls, and there's updates, and there's configurations that have to always go back and forth between the satellite it's an operation center and you have to build a corporation around that that is secure so that's kind of fundamental and that's the basis right so now you get to the architecture of the system itself and so low earth orbit satellites not just ours any one of them by in general are much more robust because the satellites as it relates to a user on the ground that's connecting into the system those satellites are not stationary like geostationary satellites are, by definition. They're moving relative to a point on Earth. So you will not have one satellite maybe over a particular location for several minutes, and then the data is passed off to another satellite. And the, the, the satellite 
terminals are made to scan over the elevation of all the satellites that will be in its field of view. So it's not really always focused on the same satellite all the time. So you have this handoff that occurs, which is very, very difficult to intercept, number one. The second thing is, particularly as it relates to light speed, we have a, a very neat uh, and secure uh, access design for our satellite. So we have multiple beams per satellite that are passing over, let's say, location in a user terminal. The user terminal is what we call the, the, the antenna and the modem that has to connect to, to some terrestrial infrastructure to our satellite, right? So as these satellites go over, we have multiple 64 beams per satellite that are focusing energy on different different terminals, and then within each of those beams, we hop them. Every X millisecond, we're moving those beams around. So we're sending packets in a very short burst, and then moving that beam to another user terminal, sending a burst, and doing that in a manner where it's seamless to the data flow, but from someone who's trying to intercept that, really, 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 really hard, right? And then you get to the next stage, which is, okay, what happens, God forbid, if someone takes out one of these satellites? Well, don't know if that will happen, but if it did, the satellite system itself, Lightspeed as an example, which has all of these optical satellite links, as I mentioned earlier, meaning we're, we're actually a mesh network in the sky, if one of those nodes, being a satellite, uh, fall out of the system, whether it's from a, uh, uh, you know, a satellite issue that occurs on the satellite, or a bad actor, God forbid, the network itself will self-heal around it. Right? right. I mean, because it's all the satellites are connected, so your data will continue to flow and be routed through a different path across our net across our network in the sky. So if you put all of that together, actually, everything related to how the company itself structures its own cybersecurity uh, systems and operations and governance and compliance, along with the moving of the satellites, the multiple beam hopping, and as well as the, the self-healing aspect, if you will, of the of the network. Because of our optical satellite links, the mesh, the mesh uh, design, it's it's a really robust and really resilient architecture relative to what's out there today for geostationary satellites. And that, for instance, one of the reasons that governments around the world for government applications uh, really do appreciate low Earth orbit uh, types of technology like what we have. Thank you. And um, I, I, it might have been Telesat that I spoke with this before. Um, but also solar weather, if solar weather impacts one satellite in a, in a big mesh network, kind of the self-healing and the other satellites kind of yeah. picking up the slack of that satellite, that's another example. That's another example. That is, yes. And then with, with, with all these milestones accomplished and um, MDA selected, what is the current schedule of the LightSpeed program? Okay. So obviously, it's a, we have a very detailed schedule, like everyone would expect in terms of um, reviews and different types of things that have to happen along the way. But overall, the general schedule is that <coughs> me, we'll we'll be um, launching some what we call Pathfinder or some uh, a satellite early in 2026. Then we'll start launching production level satellites. Well, those satellites will be production satellites. Would be let's say the first few. And then we'll start a production run of launches of the satellites mid-2026. And all satellites, all of the initial, what were funded for 192 satellites that will actually go into space, 
um, they, they're not launched at the same time. So you launch some number of them every month, and then it takes a couple of months for those to actually get into the orbit and get tested. So that whole process, the overall high-level schedule, is we'll start launching in 2026. We'll start doing field trials in 2026. And then by mid to end 2027, we'll have full global coverage, and then our full global services will begin. Exciting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> is, there, yeah. is there anything else you think our subscribers should know about Lightspeed? Um, you know, I guess maybe if there was one thing I would say, just to reinforce, because the question comes up a lot, and I think it just has to do with historically the site, where, you know, where geostationary satellites play. Um, the market will be very large. It will require different types of technology. I'm talking about low Earth orbit services and technology, not just one, so not one service type fits all, which is why we're so optimistic and so bullish about what we're trying to do. And maybe we may be a year or so later than we expected to be in service, but we still feel we have the right solution. And frankly, I can tell you from all of my travels over the last couple of years, speaking to customers around the world about this technology, every single one of them says, all right, just get it up there. Uh, it's a great design and that uh, we really need those services. So that, I guess that's the message, final message. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. That about wraps up today's episode. So we want to give Glenn Katz, Chief Commercial Officer at Telesat, uh, a warm thank you for joining us. This has been the Dish Podcast by Connectivity Business News. And before I sign off, I do want to remind our listeners about the upcoming Connectivity Next Summit 2023, presented by Connectivity Business News. The event is scheduled for November 13th and 14th in Atlanta and will focus on trends and opportunities in the satellite and telecom connectivity sector. The summit will provide insight into the latest developments and trends that are changing how connectivity professionals create strategic plans for SATCOM development, deployment, and commercialization. Be sure to take advantage of early bird pricing while it is still available at connectivitynextsummit.com.